the award-winning Crunch Time. Oh, terrible turnover. Mark taken, Switkowski flicks a hand pass on, runs on 50. Here's Brayshaw, he pulls the kick, bouncing in front of Frederick, got time, hand passes over the top. Jackson will run in and kick a goal. Frederick leans back, kicks it long, kicks it strong, and there is the sealer. It was like um, said to the players after the game, um, yeah, it was one thing to get beaten, but like we did last week and put in the performance we did last week and sometimes after those sorts of performances there you know, can be a bit of finger pointing And <clears throat> but I thought from the moment the game finished everyone took part uh, their, their part in owning, in owning that performance um, staff, coaches included um, they came to work on Monday um, really, really, real determination to learn from it and um, get back on track and we had a great week so yeah I, I think um, uh, the performance tonight was, yeah, a reflection of our, our week. So, yeah, it was a good bounce back. The Dockers square their season at 7-7, seven and seven, responding to their horror show at Giant Stadium in emphatic fashion. The campaign to play finals alive and well. Coast to coast like butter on toast. Amadi, left shoulder to goal, about 20 metres out, 5 metres in. Couple of quick little steps, and he was holding it out a long way, like a loaf of bread, one-handed, but he got the curl beautifully. Good burst from him, and the great craft kick. of the kick on the 45-degree angle. McLean had the sit on Barras, who's hurt in that marking contest. Heaney, little show, bit of candy commerce, oh. and he just saunters in. It was nonchalant, <laughs> effortless from Heaney, oh and he's got Michelle Pfeiffer. Aiden McLean from the right forward pocket on the angle with the banana. It's 200 up for the Sydney Swans on the SCG. There's been many great double tons on this ground before, and the Sydney Swans can add their name on the honour board. Yeah, look, first of all, it's probably uh, pretty hard. I just spoke to Simo afterwards. I think they had two players available back in Perth, I think, to play for their reserves team, and so they've had a tough time for quite a while. And. Um, you know, it's it's hard when you, you haven't got your best players available. You haven't got a squad together, so um, <clears throat> it was tough for them. But you know, from our perspective, we just thought it was, you know, it was from go to way. It was, you know, it was really good quality team football. It was, you know, it was a high quality game. The Swans raised the bat twice at the SCG with a 171 point thumping of West Coast. Isaac Heaney, the star of the show, with five goals as almost every swan got a lick of the ice cream. I'm not sure if 18-year-olds are wired that way. So a winning culture is the best culture, so there's no doubt. So that, that that's a challenge. We can't do much about it, though. It's not that we can't do anything about it. So we've just got to accept it and make the most of it and try and be more competitive, because it was unacceptable tonight. Like, it was embarrassing. So we're not accepting it, but there's not much we can do outside of keep rolling up our sleeves trying as hard as we can and try and get better. And that's the voice of Adam Simpson, the Eagles coach running out of answers as his side suffers the biggest defeat in club history. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. A very good morning from the MCG as we build up to today's clash between Collingwood and Adelaide. The Crows, well, 
They'll be out to exact revenge after the Pies claimed a one-point victory earlier this season. And the man who put them in front, Steel Side Bottom, he's our special guest in the second hour. Sarah Ollie here with Scotty Lucas. And this morning, we welcome Cal Toomey. Hi, Cal. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Scotty. Nice to be here at the G. Looking forward to today's game, actually. Collingwood and the Crows. As you mentioned, a classic earlier in the yes. season. And yeah, a bit of a crowd expected, I think, this afternoon. So keen for that one, Scotty. Absolutely. We'll find out more about Adelaide today, won't we? Indeed. Um, and we've had the discussion. I know you're an Adelaide fan, and I cautioned somewhat. I've got uh, a love-hate relationship yeah. with the Crows. Yeah, it works in, in line with win-loss, win-loss. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll find out more about them today, won't we? And Collingwood coming off a bye and a loss to Melbourne, a disappointing loss for them, but not unexpected when you get into the grind of the season. You will drop one that you perhaps don't expect to. Uh, fantastic game it should be and great to have Steele in the second hour yeah looking forward to that a big get from our, our star yeah, producer Ben up the back yeah up the back there mm. a lot to unpack from the weekend and Cal because you're here we're going to touch on your draft expertise a little bit later in the show but I want to begin as we always do with our Sunday snaps and Cal you've got the new ball I've got the new ball. You do. I like it. I like it. Well, I'm just going to go. We're going to talk a lot about the Swans and the Eagles clearly over the next couple of hours. So I thought I'd go with the Dockers last night. And it was a great win from them. They kept alive their finals hopes. And a, a key player in that game was Liam Henry, who for the best part of his career hasn't been a key player for them. I thought he was fantastic last night. A career high, 32 disposals, equal most on the ground in the game. He's a top 10 pick four years ago, out of contract this year. Lots of speculation and interest in him around where his future lays at the end of this season. But with more performances like that, uh, he was able to negate uh, Nick Martin for the better part of the game as well. On the wing in an important role, we know how good Nick Martin's been for the Bombers, Scotty. So Liam Henry, kudos to you and, and well done to getting back into that team and, and creating an influence straight away. Uh, my snapshot, and a very good one, Cal, I oh. might add, uh, Back to Friday night, and I thought Harris Andrews was outstanding, pivotal in that game. Uh, but on the back of the job that Jack Payne, a young player that's come into the team and starting to establish himself and has had some really strong performances this year, his job on Max King was pivotal. It allows Harris to lay off and become the player that St Kilda look up and see. And unfortunately for them, kept kicking it too. Mm -hmm. Nine intercept marks, I think second highest ever. And uh, I thought that was pivotal in that game. And... It was a challenging game. Saints are good at Eddie, at Marvel, I should say. Lions, we just have questions when they come to Melbourne. It's almost the Marvel. Not MC at Marvel, though, No, yeah. it's not at Marvel, but it almost gets put into the with the MCG box. So for them to come and have a strong performance was important for them. That's the way to move forward with them, though, isn't it? With Jack Payne taking the key position player down back and allowing Harris Andrews to move a bit more freely and organically, I would say, across the ground. Not every team or not every player can do what Harris Andrews did. So if you've got one that can, let them do it. And I always look at and compare it to Alex Rance. You would look, when you were doing a game of commentary where Alex Rance is playing, because often it wouldn't appear on the TV, but you would look up and see Alex Rance and a team was moving the ball forward and they would look up and see him and stop and then go sideways and kick around him. So... Alex Rance didn't have to touch the ball to significantly impact the forward momentum of another team. And if Harris Andrews, because of Jack Payne, can start to do that more and lay off and not have to own the best key forward, then that will significantly help their defence. My Sunday snap, and I'm going to team with a similar theme when it comes to you, Cal. I'm going with the other docker that had 32 touches in Caleb Sarong. He was 
instrumental last night. He's building a really lovely season, putting together a really probably all-Australian season in my eyes. And I know he is one of two vice-captains. And Andy Brayshaw, I think in some discussions, it's almost a fait accompli that he is going to be elevated to the captaincy once Alex Pierce departs. I'm not so sure about that. And no. Cal, you would know Caleb Sarong better than most. Was he the big country captain? He was, yeah. yeah. He was a super skipper as a junior, wasn't he? And he was a leader who has some aggression in him. He's an intimidating type of player around the, the yes. coalface there. And you see that emotion in his game. I actually interviewed him a few weeks ago and he said, I've had to tone down the emotion to some degree <laughs> because I was just one of those angry kids. You know, I used to get so hurt whenever we lost. And you see that in his game now, don't you? Uh, yeah, co-vice captains and wouldn't shock me either if he was the, the captain to, to step past Brayshaw, but they're different. They are different, and maybe they are the, the perfect combination as, as, a, as a pairing as I, well. And that's what you look at. It might be that, and it seems with the greatest respect for how they've structured up now that it's almost like those two players perhaps weren't quite ready. If we were making that decision in a year or two, they would have been vying for that captaincy role. So I reckon there's a real chance in a year or two they might have two captains. It might be a dual situation. I'm not sure. Each club can change, Sarah, depending on who's available to their captaincy policy around a single captain or a dual captain, etc. So it could be both. He'd be leading their best and fairest as well because he was super at the start of the season when, when they, they weren't. weren't. And yep. he's managed to continue that form. He's still only 22, so he's a star. Let's get into the Saturday night wrap for Werribee Izuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into a D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. And we go to the SCG where last night records were tumbling left, right and centre. The Swans, 31-19, 205, defeated the Eagles 5-4-34. In the end, a 171-point win. I don't think many people saw this one coming given the Swans. I know they were you know, last year's grand finalists and the Eagles are in horrific, horrific form. But this is one of the all-time beltings, Cal. It is. I think within five minutes we probably saw it coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the writing was on the wall very early in that game, wasn't it? Sarah, you could argue that it is the biggest belting ever. I mean, no team has kicked more than 200 points in 2011. And I would argue with the way that defences are set up and structured now, 200 is almost like 300 in the old style, balancing up ground conditions and so forth. Um, West Coast bigger, biggest ever loss at 171. Um, I think, and there's not, I mean, the highest score is about 230. So Sydney have almost kicked a record score ever in the game against their opponents. Hard to argue it's not the worst loss ever. Don't take into account West Coast's worst loss ever, but... The competitions. So some more numbers as well. Sydney kicked 18 consecutive goals between the second 18. and fourth quarters. Eagles have lost by 100 points or more 14 times in their history and four times this season. And, and back-to-back now as well. Adelaide, of course, a couple of weeks ago. Carlton and Hawthorne as well. We, we forget the Hawthorne thrashing earlier so, in this year. And you've gone Sydney, Carlton, Hawthorne, Adelaide. None of those teams are top six on the ladder at the moment, are they? No. And a couple are outside the eight. Correct. And the last two weeks, they've conceded 58 goals to 13. So it's wild. The repercussions and consequences will be will be fierce, and clearly the will attention. they? they, they, they should they they have to be. But it's re been remarkable up at the, to this point, the lack of commentary or anything out of West Coast, isn't there? It has been. No, it has been. I mean, the first 
way to fix a problem is to admit you've got one, isn't it? And, mm. and I'm not sure we've heard that publicly no. in the same sort of utterances that we might have heard it from previous clubs in, in similar situations. I mean, their chairman, uh, Paul Fitzpatrick, only a week or so ago said, no, 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 we won't be finishing last this year. Now they're a game and, and 20%. And, and, and we'll get into it further yes. later on, but... Uh, and matching, that's a ridiculous comment. And a matching Fitzroy in their final season. Oh, there's for, some for numbers that we can that I'll go into later that suggest they are every bit as bad. So conceding 18 goals in a row. I mean, we heard John Longmire say before it's tough because they don't have a lot of players to choose from at the moment, and that is true. But another truism is that if you concede 18 goals in a row, there is something wrong with your intent, isn't there? Well, it's all about intent, isn't it, and lack of. And that was clear yesterday. Yeah, there was no point where... Because if you run through it, um, they've got a lot of young players, but they still had, you know, Yo, Shuey, Sheed, Allen, Darling, Barass, Gaff. What's that? Seven or eight? You've got a couple of players in each area. Tim Kelly. Shit. You've got enough players out there and leaders that should, you know, have enormous pride. I understand young, young players... You evolve as a player, and a young player is happy to get a game when they're starting out, uh, and they want to do really well. And the team winning is great, but it's a little bit like I'm trying to establish myself within the team. And as you move through your career, you move into, you know, if you're not, team becomes really quickly, it's all about winning and team success, once established, I think, for a lot of young players. So you've got those young players, but they, they're therefore trying to play well for them. It doesn't matter what you're motivated by, but the older players, that pride of playing well, but also leading the team, directing the young players, helping them to be better so that the team can su- succeed quicker, is not evident at the moment. It's diabolical how they're playing. Like, let's not muck around with it is it it's horrible the pressure is mounting on adam simpson but those senior leaders that you just mentioned how much pressure should be squared directly at them a lot because i think some of the older guys aren't in afl condition and has that been the case for a few years now if we're to look at the last three years in the body of work that the eagles have put together yeah absolutely look at their conditioning and and fitness program and, and injuries over the past few years as well players have gone to that club and been drafted to that club fit and, and, yeah. and healthy and even in their first year have suffered multiple hamstring strains yeah. as, and that's a regular occurrence. As they say, the greatest ability is availability and theirs is non-existent but that still sits with the club. Look, you can't say, oh well it's not the coach's fault because it's the high performance or list management, it's not because all of the people at the club oversee it together to have the right people in each department. Um, I don't know whether they've made high performance changes, but it would be staggering if they haven't because they haven't had anyone to pick from for three years. So after a while you go, well, this is not working, is it? And you have to do something. You can't just let it unfold. And Because these are same players that haven't played for two or three years are two or three years older. So they're well into their 30s and they're not helping you. All right, we'll dive into the Eagles a little bit more in the second hour, but let's celebrate the Sydney Swans because it was some kind of performance for them. In the end, what is that? 50 scoring shots, 205 points. And the funny thing is the last home game, Sarah, uh, I was up there and watched that live. I think them and St Kilda, no goal in the first quarter. Yeah, that was a hard watch. Nine, nine <laughs> goals to one. Like, what is going on here? Like, they became the Harlem Globetrotters because... <laughs> the, Ross, the Ross factor was evident. Uh, yeah, <laughs> look, at, look it? it was. But that's still the point. So if limited, 
do Ross the way that he plays protects and it becomes an arm wrestle in a game of chess. What was that? Like, just defend with intent. But let's celebrate the Swans um, and the way that they went about it. I mean, there's only a limited amount you can take out of it because at one point, players all acknowledge, yeah, okay, well, that wasn't. Look, they'll give us, next to my games tally for AFL games, they'll give me a one, but I'm not sure about it. But there is a lot of confidence. If the right Mm. players play well, like we saw... Uh, Logan McDonald get four goals and Amati get four goals. That could be somewhat of a catalyst. Uh, McLean, three goals. Just that confidence. I mean, football's above the shoulders. It is a game of self-belief. And if they, even if it's almost a false economy, the self-belief that they can obtain might really carry them on and spur them. Because, you know, there's always reasons. You know, when we talk about players, they're physical, he's big, he's strong, he runs fast, but... But is usually the above-the-shoulders question. Now, if that's sort of given that self-belief and confidence to several players, that can carry them to a career or help establish them sooner. So if Collingwood wins today and beats Adelaide, the Swans are going to be about a game behind in, inside of the top eight and about equal on percentage too for the Crows. So is, is it within reach now for them? I think we'd all written off their finals chances. They're starting to get their players back clearly as well. Dane Rampey's been back the past couple of weeks. Callum Mills returned. Um, Tom McCartan in the VFL Tom yesterday. Tom VFL, so yeah. expect him back in the next couple of weeks as yeah. well once he gets his conditioning right as well. So are they in a position to strike or is this just <laughs> again? And like we saw Carlton as we spoke about before thrash the Eagles too and then yeah. go on to lose their next six false games. Dawn. Yeah. I think it's somewhere in between, and I think fixture's really important. As we've spoken about Geelong's fixtures, they, they're sort of almost battling, um, paddling against the tide, aren't they? Because they're running out of games as players come back, and, that, and I think the Swans are somewhat the same. If they have a tough two or three weeks with fixturing, and Sarah, you might know more as a, a loyal blood... I actually haven't had a look at what's to come yet. What have you been looking for? You know I've got a flight on Tuesday, Scotty. You know I'm getting out of the country. I think they might be leaving their run a little bit too late. I mean, yesterday was more than a win. It was two wins, essentially, when you look at their percentage boost. 15%. And teams that play the Eagles, well, that's going to distort the way the final eight looks as well, Cal. They do have the Cats next week, though. Okay. And that's a big clash, isn't it? At the SCG. At the SCG. We're talking about both of them. And and I don't think the loser can make it. So, That's a good way to frame it. Isn't it? The next three weeks is going to make or break their finals chance. So they play the Cats at the SCG, then Richmond here at the MCG, and then are back to the SCG against the Western Bulldogs. So that's against three competitors yes. for those final that couple of spots in the top three eight. Three wins, but three losses. It could yes. be. Couldn't it? Yes. That, that's, and that's the nature of the season, isn't it? And then the Dockers after that. Who are also in that logjam from yeah. about you know six to twelve at the moment? There really is a logjam, isn't there? And you wouldn't be surprised if it if it flipped. Like there are teams that are just holding onto spots within the eight. I mean, St Kilda. I'm not sure about. Do the Bombers make it? There's a lot of chat around the Bombers having a soft fixture. I'm not sure I completely buy into no. that. And and the Crows. I all, mean, all those three teams are gettable in terms of their spots inside yes. the top eight, aren't they? And there's still a little bit of faith to be won for a couple of those teams as well for the final block of oh, the season. Certainly St Kilda and Essendon, Cal. I mean, I think St Kilda since a 4-0, a win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Yep. So their bank of form the last eight or nine weeks, is there a 50% team? And you'd say Essendon, that was their, their worst all-round game of the season last night. They've it had was. some quarters They're, here and there, but yeah. that was their worst all-round game. That was a disappointing game. performance. Um, did they get selection right? 
Well, the question's going to be, isn't it, on the two rucks and, and the use of Nick Bryan? And, and I think Andrew Phillips is pretty good yeah. in, in holding his own. And John Menzi is the substitute. I think he's probably been their best consistent I, I, small forward I, across I, the game. And then I obviously they, back mo- line. they moved out uh, Nick Hind and brought back uh, Jake Kelly for that position. I think they missed a bit of Nick Hind's pizzazz well, and, and run. And then with Heppel down there as well, is that the best backline to cover Schiltz, Fredericks, and the other smalls that they, Walters that they run through there? That's Essendon wasn't a quick backline. By bringing Kelly in, uh, another guy that you don't necessarily want the ball in his hand. So they've been a ball movement team corridor out of the back half. They've got three guys that can't kick the ball off the line. And, and That's one or two too many for me. And the Dockers managed last night to shut down Mason Redmond a lot as well. That's right. and so just, he's their one. So they only had one of their one wood for ball use out of back line, Redmond. So it became easy for Freo go, okay, what do we want to stop? They run off half back. Well, one guy, bang, put our time into them and see if the others can use it well enough out of the back half because they just dumped it out of the back line all night long. Part of that was great Fremantle pressure. But part of that was personnel in the back half for me. And we will unpack that match a little more after the break. But just to wrap up the Swans chat, you mentioned the likes of Amadi, McDonald, McLean. We kind of got a look into the future of the Swans forward line last night. And a big part of the Swans' future is clearly, Cal, going to be Errol Golden. He is such a little star. I think... From round one, he's been a player that's really elevated himself this year and you can't really say that about a lot of his peers thus far into the season. Uh, Calg, you know him very well. What was he like in his draft year? Because he got through to pick 32. Yeah, 32. And And I think think if we were to redo that draft, he would not be at 32. Well, the question's got to be asked, is he the best player from the 2020 pool? And at the moment he is... In the future, there's going to be question marks, isn't there, around whether one of these tools from the top end is able to overlap him and, and jump him. And that's Jamari Eaglehagen. That's his own teammate in, in Logan McDonald. It's also Riley Thilthorpe at the top end. It, it was a really tough draft, though. It so was. you give the recruiters um, an out here, in a sense, more than ever, because they didn't see them play as top ages, certainly the Victorian kids. So... So much changes between a bottom-age player and a top-age player, yet that draft for Victorian kids was all based on their bottom-age form. So there was, there's been, I would say, a far higher portion than usual of kids that have been two and out. Yep. So did their two years, weren't recontracted. But for the WA and South Australians, they had more info, didn't they? Because they got some footy away. So really interesting draft to look back on over the next few years because of that COVID component. But... Errol's far outperformed his position in the draft. He's played 57 games, and that's the most of any player from that draft. And the second most is Archie Perkins with 52. And Gordon's the best performed player out of that draft, clearly. He is. Who's the second banana for Cal at the moment? Put you under the spot there, haven't I? <laughs> you have, but, you know, this is what we do. This is part <laughs> of the fun of it all. And, and you go back to that draft. Jamar Hagen was number one. Riley Thilthorpe, number two. Will Phillips, three. Logan McDonald, four. Braden Campbell, five. We'll go through the top ten. Denver Granger, Brass, six. Elijah Holland, seven. Nick Cox, Archie Perkins, Zach Reed mm-hmm. for the Bombers. Luke Pedler, Tanner Bruins coming with a rush yeah, he's as coming. well at, but uh, at the but Cats. To this point in time, there's daylight between Errol and those names so far. And there things is. will change as the tools come through. But right now, there's a premiership Max player Holmes. in there. There's a premiership player in there in, in, in your man, Jake Bowie. Yes. Who's obviously uh, yeah. 
I think they missed him as well the other night, mm. the Demons. And Max Himes, I He's think... He's been excellent. ...has been fantastic yeah. and, and would be a Premiership player if not for, you know, an unlucky... Uh, turn of fate, really, in that preliminary final last year. But look, Errol Gordon, how does he get to pick 32? He, because he, Braden Campbell, the Swans took him at pick five, another yeah, academy player. They did. And, and Bid on by Hawthorne, Braden Campbell. And had mm. the, the leg speed and the weapon with his kicking that people thought was you know the, the bit that set him apart. I think if you were going to build a way to, to slide down a draft, you, you tick all the items that Errol did that year. He's 175 centimetres or less, yes. so he's small. Yeah. He's tied to a club. He's tied to a northern club. Yeah. That's that's the third factor. Who so there are clubs already think don't, that he's going to go somewhere and so be they picked. don't do quite as much work on and, that player. And recruiters had four months off that year. Yeah. They were stood down. Ninety five percent of them didn't work that year. So he played a fair bit of footy, but in the the New South Wales competition and dominated at that level yeah. as he was always going to. He had previously to that as well. But it would have been an interesting. The great uh, question would be, where did Sydney rank well, him on their full talent list? It would have been interesting if a bid had come for him inside the first 15, what the Swans would have done, yep. I think. I know one club that had him at six on their list and had him well in front of Campbell. But that was just – that's one opinion. Yeah, and, and as we and, say – And as I always say, he said that to me before the draft. <laughs> so it's not post-draft or last week where he said, well, I had him at six. He, he was – that particular recruiter was big on that all year. And how, how much of an effect has the COVID year actually had on that whole draft class, missing a whole year of the Victorian well, players? Well, that's the other thing, both how you've been judged, but those players that didn't play and the development they didn't get, there's a bit of a lag. And then their, ne- their first year in clubland was in hubs for a lot of it, so they perhaps didn't get the kind of craft that they need. So there's, there's a catch-up phase that's required in addition to the fact that perhaps, quite simply, they were picked earlier than they should have been through lack of any further information. And not to mention as well, if you're at the top of talks, and they do take more oh, they time. they take time, And yeah. there's injuries there. We've seen Nick Cox with a back stress fracture and, and injuries at the Bombers. Zach Reed's had that as well. Another issue with his hamstring this week as well, which I think will see him sideline for a bit longer. So uh, there's issues there, but certainly Errol at the top of the tree at the moment. That's been the Saturday night wrap for Werribee Izuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. Cal, we're going to do a bit more of a draft chat later in the show. I might ask you about the Swans Academy. There might be a few others to come through. Just pump out next. them and he just got a little bit higher in the seat, Cal, when the draft was <laughs> mentioned. to crunch time. Zito Power Tools. Renovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group. He'll flick it. Oh, terrible turnover. Mark taken. Switkowski flicks a hand pass on. Runs on 50. Here's Brayshaw. He pulls the kick. Bouncing in front of Frederick. Got time. Hand passes over the top. Jackson will run in and kick a goal. And didn't Luke Jackson enjoy having Sean Darcy back in the team? Welcome back to Crunch Time for Ozito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. So the Dockers, they have squared the ledger. They're 7-7 seven and seven after a 14-9-93 win over Essendon, 9-7-61. In the end, a 32-point win. And really, it was set up from the centre, Scotty, and that has been the one wood for the Dockers this season. If they win that area of the game, they tend to walk away with the four points. They do. I mean, I think they're six and one when they've won clearances and zero six when they haven't. So there's no greater stat line to know what it's about, which begs the question, why would you think about, as we heard uh, a fellow media trade Sean Darcy? (laughs) 
Not sure about that because you knew I would kind of get that in at some stage, Sarah. You tend uh, to get it in every show. Yeah, but but it's not so much about Sean in a sense, and he was very good. But Luke Jackson kicked three goals. Yeah. So it's the duel, how they complement one another, that he can go forward, become an offensive threat. Because I don't don't think Luke would love to play 100% game time in the ruck and probably knock his body around a fair bit. Um, when you look at some of the big gorillas around the competition. So it's a perfect complement. And he sags a defender, so then it becomes Amos that gets a better match-up or somebody else and is allowed to get off the leash, or young Tracy. And that's what happened last night, but it really their clearance, and Justin Longmuir referenced it post-game, you know, where a clearance contest shape around the ball, get out. And with Sarong and uh, Brayshaw and the way that they work, complemented by the ruck to start the chain, they were excellent. And the Senate, the second quarter was basically goals from centre clearances killed the Bombers. You mentioned Justin Longmuir. This was him post-match. We, we got back to valuing the right things. Right? Yep. And um, we respected the game. We respected the oppo. Uh, and we got back to what we value as a team. So yeah, contest, pressure, uh, won the contested ball, won the tackles, uh, after the first five or ten minutes of the game, we defended our front half the way we like to defend um, and, and took away their ball movement. So, yeah, and the rest flo- uh, flowed from that. So the Dockers are now 7-7. Seven and seven. I guess the flow on from that, Cal, is finals. Are they a likely proposition? Likely might be a stretch at this point, but I, I think they're definitely back in the mix, aren't they? And do we put last week's performance against the Giants down to the buy effect, which has riddled teams throughout the past month, and, and gladly we're past the buys now, so we're back on an even keel um, by the end of today anyway. So, look, I think it's going to be a challenge for them, but they have shown that they can beat some good teams, and they have done that at stages throughout this year. Next week's test, again, will be a massive one. Come to Marvel Stadium and play the Western Bulldogs, who are fighting for one of those positions. There's going to be a crunch of those games, isn't there, coming up for all those clubs in that part of the ladder who you know, have, have been competing throughout the season against each other for one of those final two sports. Look, they've, they've overcome the start to the season when they were atrocious, I think, in the way they were playing, and they probably hadn't had missed the memo on and how the competition was playing and have managed to get that back on track. But they might have left themselves a little bit too much a run. Look, they're definitely in the mix. I think the next three or four weeks will tell the story for the Dockers. And to me, I don't think they're doing any damage in the finals this year. And that's okay as well with where their list build. There was a lot of change with their group at the end of last season. Clearly, the introduction of Jackson has been massive in probably the last eight to nine weeks mm. since he started to find his rhythm, and he's been huge for them. And last night we saw, as you said, Scotty, it wasn't the, the rucker effect, it was the, the forward effect, and that also exposed one of the holes for the Bombers in Jane Verdi having to play on him. They don't have a big key, but you're right. Giants aside, they're, and after that poor start, their form has been pretty strong. What do you think, Sarah, in that regard, Frio? Finals? <sighs> they're in the crunch. They are in the crunch. If they continue to play like that, I don't see why not. But I agree with you, Cal. I don't see them really doing any damage. But they're building a lovely young group of players. And Jai Amos is certainly one of those players, Cal. I think he's got, what is it, 25 goals to his name this season. Do we need to start talking him up a little bit more, especially when it comes to the Rising Star? Well, we should ask a left-footed goal kicker in the box about <laughs> about whether tall forwards perennially get overlooked in awards. Because... <laughs> 
crap. Because only <laughs> one has won the, the Rising Star over the past 20 years. So people talk about the, the Brownlow and the Coaches Association. Hogan. Hogan mm. in 2015 kicked 44 goals in his debut season for Melbourne. So that's a fantastic yeah. um, season for him at AFL level. Look, Amos's performance has been outstanding. He probably yeah. finishes with 40 goals oh. again. And, and look, it's a, an amazing I reckon amazing that's a story. huge performance, and he should be. I think Ashcroft... His effort has been enormous. So I, I, right now I have him sitting up on his own. He can look down on each because to play inside mid at a top three team and be as valuable as any other mid is just really beyond comprehension for a first-year player for me. But Amos is not... Could he be the leader of the next bunch? Absolutely, because I think Sheasel has been able to play the game to suit him. Like they've put him at half-back, use your feet, kick the ball... Um, He's got class up forward, but they've protected Amos is just standing one out in the forward line with a man on him in his back pocket, and he's beating him and he's kicking goals. You're quite right. His performance has been outstanding, and there's a little bit of that out-of-sight, out-of-mind effect, isn't it, with Frio um, and some of those interstate teams. But his year has been uh, grossly underestimated so far because we just haven't heard anyone talk about it until you mentioned it. <laughs> the other one is Machito Owens as well, who... Mm. hasn't yeah. hit the scoreboard as much no. but he's playing a really central role to them and his numbers from a, a champion data point of view are, are sky high oh, now, absolutely I feel we've talked about we him yeah but quite right he's been excellent also and that shows as well a good player goes but good drafting can um, compensate for that and he's of course, the pick that came for Adam Chera a couple of years ago at the draft in Jai Amos. So he was the perfect fit for them. A Western Australian's out of Bustleton. He kicked a stack of goals that year and you know, didn't and, miss his, his kicks and, and still doesn't. That's what we tied in with West Coast a little bit um, and other teams. But you lose Chera. Okay, well, we've got Sarong and Brayshaw. That's okay. We've got our inside mids that can work. Well, what else do we need to complement our team? Gee, we haven't had a decent key forward for a long time. Amos is our opportunity. So Chera might mean that they're a better team in three or four years because he leaves. Yeah. Notwithstanding, he's been very good for Carlton. So on the flip side, the Bombers are now eight and six and sit in sixth position. You two have a very good lens on Essendon. What did you take out of last night when it comes to Brad Scott's side? I thought that, that was the first game that they probably looked uh, muddled with the plan. I think the first 20 minutes they probably should have been three or four goals up and weren't able to convert their chances and they're probably a little bit too cute going forward last night. I think for probably the first time this year that was the overall outplaying throughout a game. And taking putting aside the first 20 minutes, there's been bad quarters for them. The last quarter against Collingwood, clearly, when they got overrun on Anzac Day. The first quarter against Brisbane was poor. And there's been some other ones. The first quarter against St Kilda as well. First Geelong. quarter against Geelong. So the theme is poor starts, isn't it? But they actually bounced out of the bye really well for the first 20 yeah. minutes or so, but weren't able to hit the scoreboard. And after that, yeah, I think that their midfield... Um, their scores from midfield was clearly the difference in the game, wasn't it? The and the interesting aspect is it was their midfield and centre clearance dominance, which saw them win that game against Carlton in that third quarter. So what had been an advantage was their area of weakness last night. At selection, exactly. You would have thought that maybe that's the case because Sean Darcy that's comes right. back in. There's no Sam Draper. That's right. And Andrew Phillips was he was right. more than okay, but he's no Sam Draper, no, he's is not. he? You're right. You know, you could look at it and go, is it as simple as Darcy in, Draper out? That's where the game was won or lost. And uh, Draper, because he's that, he's almost the, well, he is the fourth mid, but he's a ground level player. So he becomes, if he's up against a Ruckman that's not as 
good on the ground. It's a 4v3 contest and football is a game of outnumbering and his ability to do that sees them have an advantage at contests all over the ground. That wasn't there last night because Phillips is more a tap and look and that's okay, but that's what didn't help them last night. So Draper was a huge out. and It's funny, it was two weeks ago he was subbed out and there was some you know commentary around, oh yeah, he's just rested. Well, clearly that wasn't the case. Um, and he's carrying something that he needs to overcome and uh, a huge loss for Essendon. Not to mention the spiritual effect of him as well within that, he that lives, group. doesn't he? He does. He's a leader. He could well be the next captain as well when you look ahead to the, the future past Zach Merritt in that role, of course, in his first season in that position. But uh, the Bombers aren't confident that Draper is back next week either. So he's still what managing that hip? hip issue. A hip. Uh, and hasn't been training much in recent weeks as well. Has spent a lot of times walking and the boundary and managing that throughout the year. And look, it's a big issue when for a player who's in the, the cut and thrust of it all game uh, to and be having to manage that. And Port Adelaide next week at Marvel. And we know what a Port Adelaide at Marvel are they? They've got an incredible record there. So that'll be an extremely tough game for Essendon. And if we, if we look at the crunch, put that into the mix as well. If Essendon were to drop that game. That sees them right in the mix and really vulnerable. Do they play two rucks next week? The Power have managed to have great success with their ruck set up throughout this season with uh, Scott Lysette coming back into the side over the last six or seven weeks. Jeremy Finlayson obviously does a little bit of um, rucking as well as Charlie Dixon when called upon. Do the Bombers stick with two? I'm, I'm not sure it worked last night. No, but I think they need some flex there. Well, you, the other question to that is, last night there was one goal kicked between Peter Wright, Sam Wiedemann yeah, that, and that was Cole the Langford. There was enough ball went inside their forward line. Um, and credit to the A, the Frio backs, B, the pressure that Frio applied through the middle of the ground. So it was dirty ball at times. But the inability of their some forwards to mark it was what also hurt them. So there's a lot of areas for improvement there. It's just uh, they need to realise that this week because, you know, they were in it with 10 minutes to go. It's about a three-goal lead. So they hung in there, but there's some areas that they need to address and fix, which they can. Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, we hand the reins over to Cal for a bit of a draft preview and then still side bottom. He's our special guest in the second hour. You're listening to Crunch Time. The Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. We are at the MCG as we build up towards today's blockbuster, or at least we're hoping it will be, between Collingwood and Adelaide. And in terms of looking forward, we're going to use this segment, Scotty, to look forward with Cal to the draft. It's what, about four and a half months away, Cal? But this yeah, is when you start to do your real DD. <laughs> and I think even if you've had your head buried in the sand, people out there have heard of the name Harley Reid. Just how good is this kid? And is he a once-in-a-generation kind of talent? I think he is. And the hype has been at incredible levels and there's different factors for that. I think the increase in social media over the past few years yeah. has certainly meant that uh, boys are coming through with profiles that they probably wouldn't have had in other in other years. But look, it's justified in a lot of ways as well for Harley Reid because last year he was an All-Australian at under-18 level playing for Vic Country. Last year he did that off half-back for the most part of that carnival. 
This year, he's been playing through the midfield. He's 185 centimetre player, about 85 kilos. He has some strength to him as well. He loves what we've dubbed the EFO. The What's effective fend-off. <laughs> he is an EFO specialist. <laughs> he goes out of his way to, to fend-off. Hey, look, there's nothing what are better. You, are you campaigning with champion data to get that added into the stats? I actually am. And, because then, I, and put a patent on it, Cal? Absolutely. Because I think it does change a game. An effective fend-off oh. can open things up and, and right. you know, break break the, the team defence. But anyway, that's mm. the topic How for another day. How many ranking points would you get for an EFO, uh, you reckon? Yeah. A few. A hey, few. Can, <laughs> he... he, he, he has had claims on number one for more than 12 months, though, and, and that's well justified yeah, no, no, as well. He's been a lock for that, certainly since last September when he played that game against Vic Metro. Yep. Do you think, though, in the rankings in the last two weeks that the gap between one and two has closed? Yes, I do. And I think if it was an open pool and Jed Walter was yeah. available to all clubs, then the race would be on. It, because he's a yeah. 196-centimetre key forward who can physically impose himself on games. He's dominated for the Allies nearly part of the championships, which is on at the moment. We're halfway through the under-18 championships. He's a player from Gold Coast's academy. So they'll get first dibs on him at the end of the season. And he's so exciting. He was an All-Australian last year as well as a, as a bottom major. So he's got some runs on the board. And if it was an open pool, let's say you just forget about the fact that he's tied to anyone. Yeah. There's every chance clubs would be taking the key yeah, forward. I reckon not five or six clubs I reckon would. Yeah. For, for purely need, yeah, which is, which is not a reflection on Harley, is it? It's more of a reflection of how Jed Walter has continued to build and the way that he's gone about it. I don't think I've seen as physical a key forward come through. I haven't seen a key forward who likes to chase and tackle as much as and him. hit and jump and hit bodies like him. And the other part of this as well is that Harley hasn't played for about six weeks. Yeah. So last week was his first game back um, after about six weeks out with concussion, which he suffered for the AFL Academy game in early May. He played last week for Vic Country about this time uh, down at Icon Park on Sunday and had three goals in the opening 10 minutes and mm. was a buzz. I think he sort of ran out a little bit of puff, as did Vic Country after that in his first game back. He'll play today for the Bendigo Pioneers. And, look, he'll be playing through the midfield. The type of player I see him has, I know it's easy to throw around the Dustin Martin, but yeah, there's a little no. bit of Dustin oh. in the way he plays, a little bit of Jordan Degoe in the way he plays, a little bit of Christian Petrarca in there. You get the feeling of More the type of bit. player. More yeah. than a bit. You're quite right. And sometimes we're... Cri but all we can do is tell you how they shape up and who they look like, isn't it? It's not worth... No one's ever saying... He's going to be that player. Correct. But if you want to look and see what you're getting, he's the type. And I thought last week, Cal, dominant start. They left him to get cold in the forward line for two quarters because South Australia were dominant. And then when he went onto the ball in that last quarter and a bit, he immediately had an impact again, didn't he? So you could see it was all there. It's just that he was short of a gallop, and they probably just managed his minutes a fair bit. He's high-impact player. He's not going to be your, your Will Ashcroft type who gets 35 disposals and Nick Dacos who gets 35 disposals, although I also think that Dacos's touches are probably another level above the Ashcroft level of, of impact from a ball use point of view. But uh, he's a guy who could get 22 and kick two goals. He's got that Jake Stringer capability as well to turn a game in a couple of moments and that special capability. So yeah. he, he's got so much potential and there's there's a reason that clubs are willing to offer a lot of picks to get up to that pick. He's also the reason why you're very welcome to just stay at number one and draft him as well. So inevitably his name is being linked at the moment to West Coast who are going to have that first selection. Mm. What do you see transpiring there? One, would he be a flight risk if he went to WA? Two, are the Eagles going to keep that pick? And three, how many clubs are trying to get their hands on the number one pick? 
Well, he's from Tongala, which is about an hour or two out of um, Echuca, as is, and, and Bendigo there. So, look, he's had to travel a lot this year, and that's another challenge that will mean that once he gets into an AFL program, we'll see him really you know, firm up as a, as a professional, I think. So uh, he knows he's moving regardless of where he's going. We had him on Gettable earlier this year and asked him the question about moving. And, look, he's, he's pretty family-oriented, but, you know, also believing and knowing that you go into a draft and understand that you get picked where you picked and that's something that comes with it but there is going to be a lot of interest in number one there's no doubt about that and there's clubs with multiple picks that can make a play for it i am keen to get your thoughts if walter was a wa kid i reckon they'd trade pick one in a heartbeat and get a big a bounty i reckon for west coast it's really important on the assumption they finish bottom of how well the West Australian kids go in the champs. If they felt that there was a couple that were top seven, eight and legit top seven, eight, not elevated in rankings because of where they live, they might look at it. But other than that, you've got to take the best available and back your system in. My thought that is, what do you think in that regard? The funny part about that is that Walter actually spent some time growing up in WA yeah. as a kid yeah. and he's a West Coast supporter. <laughs> you'd, shed, you'd shed a tear, wouldn't you? If you, were, you would. But that's the same with a lot of the Gold Coast Academy kids. Their roots are football state-based, SAWA Victoria. But, we can, but good luck to the Gold Coast. Yeah. I think that's good for the game. And it's good to see them getting three at once yeah. as well and Jake Rogers and Ethan Reid coming through too and, and set up their next wave. But... Yeah, I think if you're moving back from pick one, you want to have a pick inside the first five or six because you want to know exactly what you're going to get. And then after that, you might want one inside the first 12 and then something else as well beyond that. So the player who the WA clubs and people would look at as the best player in Western Australia is Daniel Curtin, yep. who yesterday played, played through the midfield, actually, for the under-18 side. He's 195 centimetres. The week before, he'd played on Jed Walter, at state level as a key defender. He's played key forward as well this season. But he's someone who could be around that mark. Yeah. Could be the Matthew Pavlich type of player through yeah. the midfield, potentially that sort of versatility. So mm. he's got that capability. But he's the one that if you're going to move back from a WA point of view, you'd want to do it, which they did last year, of course. They moved back from two to pick eight and pick 12. They got Jimby yeah. and Hewitt. So clubs talk about cliffs. And by that, I mean... They see two or three players that if they get one of them, they're really happy. Then they will might have a cluster of four, then five. So, And if they lose, they're happy to trade out yep. because they see a, a group of players that they can't split effectively. How do you see the cliff at this initial stage looking in that top six, seven, eight picks, Cal? I think it's around the first eight or nine this yep. year. Uh, so we've got Harley Reid in there, Nick Watson, Zane Dersma, the two Tasmanian boys in Colby McKercher and Riley Sanders. Yep. You throw in Jed Walter and Ethan Reid from an academy perspective. Let's forget their ties for a mm -hmm. second. I think they're in there. Nate Caddy, who's obviously the uh, the cousin of or nephew, sorry, of Josh, Josh. former uh, premiership player at the Tigers. So, uh, and Daniel Curtin as well. So what have we got there? About eight or nine. I think that's where you probably see other variances in, in opinion beyond that group. Maybe Conor O'Sullivan's in there. Maybe Jordan Croft, the father-son from the Western Bulldogs. Maybe he's in there. Maybe Mitch Edwards, the ruckman from WA as well. Maybe he's around that mark. Maybe Will McCabe, the father-son for the Hawthorne Footy Club. Maybe he's around that point too. But there's probably a few more maybes in that period of the draft, whereas I think the first eight or nine are pretty consistently viewed around who that group is. It's just a matter of ranking them exactly where. And Nick Watson's a very unique player, 170 centimetres I watched him play on Friday. It was, I've never had more fun watching a yeah. draftee than watching Nick Watson this year. Um, he, he's, a, he's a funny one. To say head-scratcher is not to be disparaging, but clubs all find it 
a challenge in a sense or because of the size, won't they? It's Where just, they put him because he's an excellent mark for his size and does that translate to AFL level because of the height? Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Steel Sidebottom, our guest in the second hour.